Well, hello everyone. I wish I could be there with you today. Our text for today, for what we call the epiphany of our Lord, that is the revelation of Christ, the showing of Christ, the revealing of Christ, not only to his own people, the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles, the revealing of Christ to the world, the epiphany of Christ, our text from Matthew chapter two, our gospel reading for today. And we're gonna focus in on verses one, and then on verses 9, 10, and 11. Let's begin with verse 1, where it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now the first thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to see, that Matthew, the writer of this gospel, wants us to see is a comparison between this Jesus who has been born in Bethlehem of Judea and this King Herod, known as Herod the Great, who was Jesus. Well, if you're reading through the gospel according to Matthew, the very first chapter, the first thing we come across is what's called a genealogy. That is a list of names and of people and of descendants, which is tracing the human ancestry and lineage of Christ. Matthew begins with Abraham, the man that God had come to and made a covenant with and made promises to that through his offspring, which would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, one would come, would be a blessing for the entire world. This was really a fulfillment of the promise that was made to Adam and Eve, uh, that one from the offspring of a woman would come and crush the head of the serpent, would destroy evil and destroy death and reverse the effects of sin. That's the promise given to Abraham. And then it's 14 generations from Abraham and his descendants to the coming of King David. King David, who was the archetype of a godly king, a godly man, although of course he was far from perfect, but he was a man after God's own heart. It was the golden age of the kingdom of Israel under King David. And of course it was said of King David's throne, it would be established forever. And then it is from King David, 14 more generations to what is described here as the deportation to Babylon in 586 BC. We've heard a lot about that this year here at Our Father when the Babylonian uh, Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple and took the people of God into slavery, into Babylon. But then it was 14 more generations after the deportation to Babylon and their return from that exile, 14 more generations then to it says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So here at the very beginning of his gospel, Matthew is showing us who this Jesus is, a descendant from Abraham to David and then from King David all the way to the coming of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who's the mother of Christ, of Jesus. And here we see that Jesus is the Christ. He is the long promised, the Messiah, the one who would come into the world and rescue the world and reverse the effects of sin. And we see very importantly that this Jesus is a direct descendant of King David, the archetype of a king, the king whose throne had been established forever. And here Jesus, this child born in poverty, 
This child who was born in a stable placed in a manger, this disgusting feeding trough for an animal, as we talked about on Christmas Eve, this lowly peasant child is the Messiah, is the great promised king, the one who would reign forever, the very son of God. This is in contrasting with this king named Herod, Herod the Great, as he was known. Now, there's other Herods. Uh, the son of Herod the Great was Herod Ant Antipas, who was there during the time of the crucifixion of Christ and his trial and all of that. This is his father, Herod, Herod the Great. Who was Herod? Herod was a puppet of the Roman Empire. Herod was put into position by the Romans. He did whatever the Romans would say. He was not well-liked by the Jewish people and the people of the region of Judea. Herod, I didn't even know this until I did some research this week here in the midst of my illness and not feeling well, but Herod was not biologically Jewish or a descendant from the people of Israel. His mother, as it turns out, was an Arab princess, and Herod's father was from a group of people known as the Edomites. The Edomites had converted to belief in Yahweh, the true God, many generations before this, but it turns out that Herod certainly was not a descendant of King David. He was not of the tribe of Judah. He was not an Israelite at all. And this is, you see, being compared and contrasted with Jesus who is truly a descendant of King David. Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is the true king. And yet, do you see, Herod is Herod the Great, and he's rich, and he's powerful, and he's in control, and he is this man. Of course, he was a terrible, wicked man who did terrible things. And that's contrasted with the lowly, impoverished, true king Jesus. What is God showing us here? What is he showing you? Once again, God is showing us, showing you, that he works in ways that we could never possibly imagine. And that God works in ways that are totally unexpected. And that God takes the values of this world and turns it upside down and inside out. We value popularity, we value wealth, we value power, we value prestige, we value being famous and all of these things. And look at the true king in this little baby, this little child born to Mary. That's the first thing that we see here. Amazing. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold. Anytime we see the word behold, this is the Greek word idu in the Greek. Behold, it means look. Pay attention. Just about every time we see the word behold in the New Testament, there's a miracle that's about to take place. And here's the miracle. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The readers, the original audience of Matthew's gospel is written originally primarily to a Jewish audience. They would have been absolutely flattened to the ground when they heard this. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, who are these wise men, these magi who are from the east? That's the first thing. What does it mean to be from the east? If you're a, a Jewish reader of this gospel in the first century, to be from the east meant that you are one of the bad guys. 
You were from the bad people. People from the east were the enemies of God's people, and they were the enemies of God. The east, this is modern-day Iraq or Iran. This is the area of Babylon. And remember, uh, you know, the, the Old Testament, the historical books of the Old Testament end with the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We looked at these this summer here at Our Father. And that's the, the very end of the Old Testament is the people of God being taken away into captivity into Babylon, Jerusalem being destroyed, the temple destroyed. Then 70 years later, the people come back and then they wait 500 years after the devastation of these terrible people, the Babylons and what they did to them. And then the beginning of the New Testament, the first thing that we hear and the first people who actually see who Jesus is, aside from the shepherds, of course, are people, men from Babylon, the enemies of God's people, the enemies of God, people from the East. Notice King Herod doesn't know who Jesus is. Even all of his scribes and the religious people who have the scriptures and, and know that the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. They do not know who Jesus is. They do not receive him. They are not coming to worship him. It is these men from the east, the enemies of God and his people, the bad guys. And what does that mean for you? It means that we, though we might be very far away from God and all the sins that we have done, and yet we are brought close, we are brought near, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, by the blood of Jesus Christ. We who were once far away have been brought near to God. It means, and look, some of you, some of you don't take your sin seriously at all. Oh, I, I'm fine, I'm a good person. Uh, that, that, that's a whole other problem, a very serious problem. But there are some of you who you were weighted down by guilt. There are things maybe you did years and years ago, things that you regret, things that you just still struggle with and feel the guilt and the shame. And here God is saying, look, it was wise men from the east, the bad people that I first revealed my gospel to and Jesus to, my Christ to. And he is saying, you are saved by grace and I want you to be near with me and you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Do not believe the lie of Satan, which would try to convince you that you can't be loved and you can't be forgiven. And how could God forgive you and keep on forgiving you, especially if you have one of those sins that you keep on doing and keep on committing? You are forgiven this very day in Jesus Christ. It's wise men from the East. And of course, it's wise men. The Greek here is magi. You've probably heard that term before, magi. And kind of the traditional way of, um, of, of interpreting that and, and writing that down is wise men. And so uh, this translation continues with that tradition, wise men, we call them wise men. But these men really were not very wise. The magi, they were more like magicians. Uh, they were more like, uh, not astronomers, but in, in astronomy, but they were into astrology. They would study the stars. They would read the tea leaves. It's paganism. It's the occult. It's not following the true God. It's looking at the stars and trying to divine the future so that you can be in control and you can do these things. And yet look how wonderfully God uses their godless practice of astrology, God uses their occult practices to bring them to himself. God is actually using their mistakes and using this, this sinful approach to 
truth and understanding, the occult, and he uses that to bring him to himself. Again, what does that mean for you? It means that God is working through all things in your life. You know, I hope you know, you know it intellectually, I hope you know it here too, that God is working through all of the difficulties of your life. He is working through all of the sufferings of your life. But God is working through even the mistakes that you've made in your life. God works through even the sins of your life. I'm at an age now at 50 where I can look back at my life, I can look at some mistakes, I can look at the the struggles that I have and sins that I've done and even sins I still have and can see how God even uses that to make me more dependent on him. God uses that, I say even uses that, maybe especially uses that to bring me to him to work through even the dumbest mistakes of my life. Now, it doesn't mean go out and purposely make mistakes or go on sinning more and more so that God's grace may abound. May it never be. But it means you can rest in his plan, in his sovereign grace for you. So that's verse 1. And then verses 9, 10, and 11. You, you know the story the wise men then go to King Herod, Herod the Great. And they seek him out, and, and where is he to be born? And here they consult the scribes and the scriptures, and it's Bethlehem of Judea. And so they make their way to Bethlehem. And it says this in verse 9, that after listening to the king, uh, the wise men, the magi, went on their way. And behold, there's that word again, look, pay attention, there's a miracle about to happen. The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Wow. And you think, I would too if God would move burning suns of the universe, stars, Maybe it was a comet. We don't really know, of course. What was this celestial body? If God would move stars to direct me to him, oh, of course I would rejoice exceedingly with great joy to see such a great miracle. But don't you understand? Please, I hope you understand. And if I've lost you somewhere in this video, I know this isn't as good as being here in person. But don't you understand what a miracle you are? We sing the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Can we put a little bit of amazing back into grace? You are a walking, talking miracle of God. If you know Jesus today, if you believe in him, if you have faith in him, that is an absolute miracle of God. And maybe God didn't move a planetary system or move a star across the universe for you, but he moved maybe a grandmother or grandfather and their wonderful example of faith. They moved a mom or a dad to tell you about Jesus. I still remember my mom when I went to bed as just a little boy and rubbing my back and praying with me and, and saying, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That God moved and worked through maybe pastors or Sunday school teachers or a friend through word and through sacrament, through all the, quote, ordinary ways. And yet these are miraculous things. You are a miracle of God's grace. Can you rejoice exceedingly with great joy today? I hope you can. And then verse 11. It says that going into the house, the magi saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell 
down and worshipped him. You know, we don't know a lot about the Magi. Uh, we know, you know, roughly where they're from. Uh, in this huge region, though, of the east where Babylon was. We don't know exactly where they're from in that region. We don't know how many they are or they were. You know, there were three gifts, so we think three wise men. But there could have been three or there could have been two or there could have been 57 wise men. We really don't know. We don't know what this star was. Was it a comet? Was it a star? We don't know how they were able to look up and discern the star and somehow understand about the king of the Jews and where they got that information from, how long their journey was. We don't know all these things about him. What do we know? We know that they came to find Jesus and they came to find Jesus because they, quote, wanted to worship him. And when they saw him, they fell down. It says they fall to the ground and they worship him. What are you worshiping? What are we worshiping? To the degree that it is Christ, oh, our hearts are filled. To the degree that it is Christ who is at the center of our lives, oh, it frees us from the worries, the anxieties of this life. You know, there is a growing religion in the world. Actually, it's an ancient religion. It goes all the way back to the fall and to sin. But a growing religion of what is called self-worship, worshiping the self more and more in the American and in the Western culture. I think this is, you could say it's the fastest growing religion today, the worship of the self. And there are, you know, new commands of this new religion. Uh, first of all, find answers within. You look within yourself and that's where the answers are. It's within you. The truth is within you. Find answers within. Listen to your heart, your feelings are authoritative. You should listen to your feelings and other people can't tell you that your feelings are wrong. You listen to your heart, you find answers within, you live your truth. You're in control, you're God, you are sovereign. Live your truth in this world because you only live once, YOLO. And these are all hashtags you can find. You only live once. And so the goal in life is to maximize your enjoyment, your own personal pleasure in this life. And finally, to be you. To be you full. you might see that. To be your authentic self. You define yourself. You determine who you are. It's not dependent on anyone else. This is all a focus on the self, a worship of the self. Some of you may, you know, I read these things out loud. Maybe they sound pretty good. All those sound inspirational. And maybe you have some of this artwork on your wall. I don't know. But it leads nowhere good to be so self-absorbed and self-focused as an individual and as a culture. It leads to... Depression, it leads to anxiety, increased suicide rates. This is what we see in the world today. But you know, we were made and hardwired to worship something greater than ourselves. We were made, we were designed, we were created to worship and to be in awe of something greater than ourselves. 34,000 people a year travel all the way to Nepal and Tibet to go to Mount Everest. 34,000 people a year. 4.5 million people a year travel to the Grand Canyon because they want to 
be in awe of something bigger than themselves. 30 million people a year travel to the Niagara Falls to see this amazing waterfall, to be in awe of something bigger than themselves. We all need to worship something bigger than ourselves. What is more wonderful? What is more full of wonder, full of awe than the creator of Niagara Falls, the one who carved out the Grand Canyon, the one who moved that star through the universe for those wise men, the creator of all things who died on a cross for you, who was laid in that filthy feeding trough for you. We see this as we wrap up here finally in the gifts of the Magi. They opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Gold, that's the gift for a king, the true king, the one that we are waiting for to put right the world and to make things right and to restore the world, to start to reverse the effects of sin had come into the world. And in the empty tomb of Jesus, the effects of sin, all sad things are coming untrue. Gold for a king, frankincense, incense, as to God, burning of the incense and the smoke and the smell, the pleasing aroma up to God, for this king was God himself in frail human flesh. And then the myrrh, this perfume, this ointment to prepare a body for burial, that this great and mighty king, God himself, had come to die for you, for me, for all people. Oh, I pray that we would see how amazing God's grace is here in this epiphany of 2022. I pray that we would fall down on our knees and worship this amazing God in Jesus Christ, to be in awe of just how wonderful he is, and that our lives would be transformed to the degree that Christ is the center of our lives, and that we would seek out these ordinary ways that he does this extraordinary thing, this epiphany, this manifestation, revealing himself to us. Oh, how amazing is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And to him alone be all the glory. Amen.